Well, I want to be- begin tonight with a top 10 list. I know you guys are fond of these top 10 lists. Here are the top 10 spiritual gifts not found in the Bible. The top 10 spiritual gifts not found in the Bible. These are the spiritual gifts that the Apostle Paul left out. Number 10, untwisting cellophane-wrapped candy during the sermon without making noise. Some of you have that gift. I've watched you. Number 9, teaching 3-year-olds by yourself. That's a spiritual gift if there ever was one. Number 8, holding a sneeze for the duration of a sermon. Number seven, correct pronunciation of the biblical genealogies. That's right. Number six, matchmaking singles. We need more of this. Number five, unlocking a car door with a coat hanger, a must for every usher. Number four, turning in your Bible to the minor prophets without using the table of contents. It's like Zephaniah and Haggai and those books. Uh, Number three, passing communion trays one-handed without spilling. That's a spiritual gift. Number two, clapping on beat, a gift that I wish more people in this church had. And number one, coming up with funny sermon illustrations, which perhaps you wish I had. Well, obviously, as handy as these abilities are, they're not the supernatural gifts spoken of in the Scripture. But there are gifts that God does give to members of the body of Christ, gifts that enable us and equip us and empower us. And for the real list of spiritual gifts, you need to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. It's not an exhaustive list. There are other places in the Bible that speak of spiritual gifts But this list is helpful in understanding the capacities that God deems necessary for the health and success of His church. Paul writes here in verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. You and I, as citizens of heaven, as ambassadors for Christ, as soldiers in a spiritual battle, We face trials and temptations of a supernatural nature. That means that when we serve the Lord, we need to step out in the power of the Lord. If our struggle is with spiritual forces and spiritual realms, then we need spiritual help. And God comes to the rescue. He provides the church an arsenal of supernatural resources. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, we notice we've been given gifts of worship gifts of wisdom, and gifts of wonder, even the ability to pray away disease and to participate in miracles, no less. I believe spiritual gifts are for today, and that means they're for you and me. Our text lists nine such gifts, but tonight I want to focus on just one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul tells the Corinthians, 
to another faith by the same Spirit. And I want to talk to you tonight about the gift of faith. You know, almost everyone today is looking for an increase of some sort. Politicians want to increase your taxes. Athletes want to increase their strength and skill. Celebrities want to increase their social media platform. Salesmen are hoping for an increase in sales. Students are hoping for an increase in knowledge. And everyone wants an increase in salary. Even the disciples were looking for an increase. In Luke chapter 17, verse 5, they approached Jesus with a request. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Jesus had just warned them of coming storms. They were to brace themselves for offenses. And this was not what they were used to. During the previous year, they had been riding a wave of popularity with Jesus. These disciples were thrilled with the news that Jesus was on their side. But now that they were encountering these warnings, as Jesus was telling them, tougher times are ahead. They weren't so thrilled with the news. The tide was about to turn. The road was going to get rougher. And what the disciples needed most was a faith lift. They needed a boost in belief. They needed a rise in their reliance. These disciples were discerning enough to ask the master for a little turbo trust. Lord, increase our faith. Let me ask you, what kind of an increase are you seeking tonight? Perhaps you want to increase your circle of friends, or maybe your bank account, or maybe you want to increase your expense account. Whatever it is, that's fine. But you're selling yourself short if you don't think seriously about increasing your faith. Faith is the most significant possession any of us possess. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Every step taken in life should be underlined with a reliance upon God. Romans 14 verse 23 warns us, Without faith, or whatever is not from faith, is sin. You see, every blessing that God desires to give us, He sends to us through the vehicle of faith. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was approached by two blind men. They were bawling and they were wailing, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus turned to this desperate duo and he answered them with a question, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Of course, they answered, Yes, Lord. Then we're told, He touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And Matthew wraps up the story, Their eyes were opened. And here's a question for us tonight. Could it be the reason our eyes remain closed and our needs go unmet is found in this phrase, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Do you need an increase of faith tonight? And I keep another list handy. It's a list of oxymorons. Here's a couple of good ones for you. Death benefit. (laughs) Half dead. You ever heard that phrase? Half dead. Plastic glasses, not so much. Drag race, how about that one? But here's one for Pastor Matt. Junior high leader, as if junior hires really get led. 
But my favorite oxymoron is in the Bible. Psalm 78 verse 41 tells us, Yes, again and again, Israel tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now talk about an oxymoron. How do you limit an almighty, omnipotent, unlimitable God? And yet Israel managed to do just that. They caused God to restrain himself. Israel limited the work that God wanted to do for them and through them because of their unbelief. You know, the same tragedy occurred during Jesus' visit to his hometown of Nazareth. Everywhere, everywhere Jesus had been going, he had electrified the town with miracles and healings. Why would it be any different in his native Nazareth? Yet Matthew chapter 13 provides us the sad commentary of what happened. Now, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You see, it was their lack of faith that handcuffed the Son of God and what he desired to do that day. And I'm afraid the problem in a lot of towns and churches today is the same. God wants to bless and help and heal, but he is hindered by our lack of faith. This is why our most passionate prayer, our most preeminent priority should be to ask, Lord, increase our faith. But what is real faith? Hebrews 11 verse 1 gives us a definition. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God blesses us with a priceless cachet of spiritual blessings. But the problem with spiritual blessings is that they're so spiritual. I live in a physical world, don't you? Surrounded by material stuff. How can I possibly get a grip on intangible things? You know God loves you. You hear His power is at your disposal. You're told that you have access to Him in times of trouble. You realize all this is true. But isn't it at times just a little too mystical, a little too airy for a down-to-earth guy or gal like yourself? How do you grab hold of spiritual realities and bring them into practical, everyday experience? Well, the answer to that is faith. For faith is the substance of things hoped for. You know, whenever I have a busy day, my go-to breakfast is a good hot bowl of oatmeal. Instant kind. I love oatmeal. But I love bulky, chewy oatmeal. The kind of oatmeal that sticks to your ribs. That's the kind of oatmeal I like. None of that watery down stuff. And whenever I slip up and make oatmeal too watery, you know, the solution's simple. You just add more substance. You just pour in another pack of the instant oatmeal. Keep stirring. More oatmeal to the mix thickens it right up. And you see, faith is like oatmeal. Faith adds, adds texture to our spiritual realities. It's the handle whereby we can grasp God's love and God's peace and God's mercy and God's power. These things can be watery until we add faith to them. Then we can grab, they stick to our ribs. Whenever my Christian experience becomes too diluted, it's time to increase the faith. Well, Hebrews 11 verse 1 
also tells us that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Not only are spiritual realities and blessings intangible, they're also invisible, are they not? Reminds me of the pastor whose son was always getting dirty. Can you imagine a pastor's son getting dirty? Well, his mom was constantly after him to wash his hands. Son, you know that germs live in that dirt. But the boy grew weary of the warning. One day he shouted, germs in Jesus, germs in Jesus. That's all I ever hear in this house and I haven't seen either one. Spiritual blessings are like germs and Jesus. They're invisible. They lie just below the surface, barely out of sight, except to the eye of faith. When you trust God to fulfill a promise or reveal a blessing, it's evidence of the reality of the invisible. You know, it's interesting that astronomers discovered the dwarf planet Pluto before they actually saw it in a telescope. They noted a strange gravitational pull on its next-door neighbor Neptune, and they concluded that there must be an invisible body nearby supplying that influence. And likewise, people learn of the invisible God by observing His pull on our lives. Thus, our faith is proof to the world we live in that there is a God and that He's at work. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Understand, we all have a measure of faith. In fact, you exercised your faith when you drove to church tonight. You boarded a 1,200-pound automobile and barreled down the street at 50 miles per hour, and you trusted a set of slender brake pads to stop you within a few feet of the bumper of the car in front of you. Talk about faith. Think about your last doctor's visit. You saw a man whose name you can't pronounce, whose degrees you've never verified. He gave you a prescription you can't read. You took it to a pharmacist you've never met. The pharmacist gave you a chemical that works in a way you don't understand, but you swallowed that pill expecting it to cure you. Now, all that takes great faith. We all have a degree of faith. The question is, are we using our faith? Tightrope walker Charles Blondin walked across Niagara Falls on a wire. Afterward, the crowd was asked, he asked the crowd, Do you believe that I can carry a man across the falls on my back? Everyone agreed, sure, we believe, but not enough to volunteer for the job. And yet real faith is willing to jump on Jesus' back. It's the willingness to jump on Jesus' shoulders and let him carry you over the turbulence of life. Do you have that kind of faith? Are you willing to trust in Jesus Realize there are three types of faith spoken of in Scripture. First is saving faith. Ephesians 2 verse 8 tells us, By grace you have been saved through faith. Saving faith embraces Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We cast our sin on Jesus' innocent shoulders. We rely on His sacrifice to gain for us God's acceptance. It's by faith that we're saved. But second, there's a growing faith. And this is the faith needed to overcome life's challenges and live victoriously. This is the faith that senses God's presence and draws upon His power and holds on to His promises. 
Every time God proves himself faithful, this faith grows stronger. As a matter of fact, if you wonder how Blondin got his tightrope across Niagara Falls, I've read the way that it was done was to tie a light thread to an arrow that was then shot across the gorge. And then a smaller rope was tied to the thread and it was pulled across. Then a larger rope was tied to the smaller rope and on and on it went until a cable heavy enough for Blondin was pulled across the canyon. And you see, this is how a growing faith develops. It begins as just a slender thread. But as it gets applied to the trials and testings of life, it grows stiffer and it grows stronger until finally it becomes the very ground on which we walk. Well, there's a saving faith and there's a growing faith, but there is a third type of faith that we read about in 1 Corinthians 12. It is the gift of faith. And this is the quickest way for God to increase our faith. It is an immediate faith. It's a faith lift. It's a spontaneous trust thrust. It's a special dose of faith that God gives to us for a special purpose under special circumstances. This is not the faith we already possessed. This is not the faith that grows over time. This faith can't be conjured up by us. It's supernatural faith implanted by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Paul calls it a manifestation of the Spirit. This lift comes as a gift. The gift of faith operates like all the other spiritual gifts. A word of knowledge isn't an insight you read in a book or a little bit of information you hear from a friend or discover through experience. No, it's a bit of information you could never have known had it not been revealed to you by God. A word of knowledge or a word of wisdom is a call from God on His divine hotline. It's something He gives to you in that moment for that special circumstance. My wife is a nurse, and she can dress a wound to help it heal. She can assist in the healing process, but that's a far cry from the spiritual gift of healing. God heals through doctors and medicines, but when the gift of healing is exercised, the healing is affected solely by the miraculous hand of Almighty God. And likewise, the gift of faith isn't a self-manufactured faith. It's an extraordinary allocation of faith that God plants in the person that needs it and asks to receive it. You know, every Olympics, there's always a sprinter or a swimmer or maybe a weightlifter who gets accused of taking steroids. Someone says the athlete's popping performance-enhancing pills that enable him to exceed normal human limitations and accomplish feats he would never be able to do otherwise through mere training and natural ability. I once saw a cartoon where a depressed Superman is confessing, yeah, I used to be faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, then they found out about the steroids. Imagine Superman on steroids. But you can think of the gift of faith as well as all the spiritual gifts as a sort of spiritual steroids. Holy hormones, if you want to call them that. 
Spiritual gifts are performance enhancing. They enable us to exceed normal limitations and exhibit a supernatural endurance. Metabolic steroids are illegal in the Olympics. But spiritual steroids are absolutely essential in the spiritual race that we're called on to run. I've seen normal, run-of-the-mill believers encounter extreme situations. And rather than come unglued, they remain steadfast in their faith. Afterwards, I wondered, wow, I didn't think they had it in them. And you know what? I was right. They didn't have it in them. Extreme faith for extreme situations is a special gift from God. Perhaps you've noticed there's a growing interest in extreme sports. There's the X Games. There's the Ironman competitions. There's the strongman races and so forth. There's even an extreme sports channel that boasts millions of viewers. And as Christians, we need to get excited about extreme faith. As the world gets worse, as life gets tougher, as the stakes get higher, we need some ex-faith. I've got another name for the gift of faith. I like to call it bungee jumping faith. Bungee jumping faith. If you've ever bungee jumped, please raise your hand. We need to know who you are, just in case you want to borrow our automobile. No way. Anybody jumping off a perfectly good bridge with nothing but a rubber band tied to their ankles, hey, you're not borrowing my car. No way, Jose. I'm too cautious of a person. I'm too self-protected to be that reckless. Something supernatural would have to come over me To bungee jump. Well, that is exactly what happens when you receive the gift of faith. Something supernatural does come over you. Normally, you would be too cautious to pick up a hitchhiker. Or to invite a stranger into your home. Or to work in an impoverished part of town. Or to reach out to some unsavory person. But all of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes upon you in a supernatural way. You like to play it safe, and now you're doing something that otherwise you'd think would be reckless. On your own, you'd never start a Bible study in your home, or teach a Sunday school class, or go to Haiti on a mission trip. But suddenly, the Spirit of God provides you an extra courage for an extreme challenge. See, often God blesses startup ventures with the gift of faith. This Sunday, We mark the 39th year of Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain. 39 years this Sunday. And I'll never forget when we first started. Enough happened in our first three months to cause us to seriously consider if we had missed out on God's will. I had no experience. We had no financial backing. We had no base of people. In fact, the folks I expected to come didn't. We were criticized. We were called a cult. We lost two members to a cult. We even were quarantined for a week the first Thanksgiving when Kathy came down with mononucleosis. And this was all the first few weeks that we existed. You know, if look, in looking back, if Sandy now had been counseling Sandy then, I probably would have told him to just forget it. Pack it up, brother, and wait for better circumstances. But I kid you not, at the time, the thought of quitting never once crossed my mind. Never once. I remained unswayed. 
I was more convinced God wanted me to start this church than I was of my own last name. I now realize that it was not my faith at work. It was the gift of faith. I once heard it it said, some situations require a leap of faith. You can't cross a chasm in two steps. This is what I'm talking about, the gift of faith. It's a bold leap of faith. Here's a good definition for the gift of faith, extreme faith. It's a trust undaunted by circumstances, oblivious to obstacles, unfazed by criticism, unmoved by suffering. It sees the invisible, believes the incredible, receives the impossible. It's dead to doubts, dumb to discouragements, and blind to impossibilities. Martin Luther defined this faith as a living, daring confidence in God's grace. It's so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. Luther's definition reminds me of Peter's trip to the temple in Acts chapter 3. You can turn there if you like. Acts chapter 3. Of course, most of us know Peter. We're well aware of his humanity. This is old foot-in-the-mouth Peter pugnacious and arrogant and impulsive and inconsistent. Remember, this was the guy who denied the Lord when Jesus needed him the most. And that's why Peter's bold faith in Acts chapter 3 grabs our attention. It's so out of character for Peter. Remember the occasion. Peter and John, they were entering the temple to pray. In the gate was a lame man begging for money. What Peter said and did next was not premeditated You get the impression it was totally spontaneous. Acts 3 verse 4 tells us, And fixing his eyes on him, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What a daring thing to say. What a daring action to take this was incredible faith to command a man who's lame to rise and walk this is a bold move but what happens next goes beyond the boundaries of what I think are good judgment I mean Peter takes himself and God's reputation way out on a limb which reminds me of the faith healer who asked everyone who wanted to be healed to come up to the platform Well, up walks this healthy-looking fellow whose ailment isn't quite apparent. That is, until he spoke up. He said, my mama Toby. Oh, Toby. The evangelist said, Toby, come on back. Come on back behind the curtain. I'll be praying for your healing tonight. Well, the next fellow who came to the platform, he was obvious. It was obvious his problem. His name was Jimmy. He hobbled up on crutches. He was also sent behind the curtain. Well, the evangelist, he prayed this arrogant prayer where he ignored God's will and bound and claimed and demanded and commanded God to do his bidding and all. And then the evangelist shouted, In the name of Jesus, Jimmy and Toby be healed. He said, Jimmy, throw over your crutches. Well, the crutches come flying over the curtain. The crowd went wild. Then the evangelist shouted, Toby, speak. And from behind the curtain came the response. Oh, 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 oh,
<laughs> and that joke is what comes to my mind when I read verse 7. It says, and Peter took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Peter, what are you doing? He physically lifted the lame man to his feet. Peter, what if Jimmy falls? Peter will be accused of cruelty to the physically impaired. He'll be arrested and sentenced to sensitivity training, probably for the rest of his life. And worse, the newly formed church will start out with a black eye and probably a million-dollar lawsuit. They'll never get off the ground. Peter stakes the beginnings of Christianity on this one spontaneous decision. But look what happens in verse 7. And immediately, his feet and ankle bones receive strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You know, we leave the first part of chapter 3 impressed with Peter's faith. Until we get down to verse 16 of chapter 3 where Peter explains the source of this miracle. Peter says, And his name, that is Jesus, through faith in his name has made this man strong. Yes, the faith which comes through him, that is Jesus, has given him this perfect soundness. According to Peter, the miracle in the temple was performed by faith, but it wasn't Peter's faith. It was the faith that comes through Jesus. The miracle occurred through the gift of faith. See, that was why Peter wasn't hesitant like you and I would have been. That's why he didn't have to go home and pray about this for several weeks. Before going back and lifting the man to his feet. He didn't have to pray, Lord, should I or shouldn't I? He didn't have to pray those things. For when God gives you the gift of faith, you don't agonize over the details. You don't worry or fret or scrutinize the possible outcomes. You're so sure. You just go for it, man. That's the gift of faith. Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber who lived in Bradford, England in the late 1800s. This Wigglesworth was a bizarre character. He had some really weird ideas, i got to tell you. But he was a Christian who took the Bible and spiritual gifts seriously. And at times, he exercised this gift of faith. In fact, one day, Smith was at work when news arrived that his neighbor was dead. He had just died. Well, he went over to the house. And let me allow Wigglesworth himself to finish the story. He says... I began to penetrate the heavens with my prayers, with what faith I had. All the time, my wife was shaking me, saying, Stop praying. She's already dead. It's too late. And I just kept praying. Soon I came to the end of my faith. And when I did, I was conscious of a faith which took hold of me that could not be denied. The next thing I knew, without intending to do it, I got hold of that woman and pulled her out of the bed. I stood her up against the wall and commanded her to walk in Jesus' name. And she started breathing 
and started walking and was raised up. I'm pretty impressed by that. A miracle occurred when Smith Wigglesworth's faith gave way to the gift of faith. I'll never forget the Sunday afternoon. We had a funeral here at Calvary Chapel. The funeral home brought the body over early that morning. We kept it over here in the office till the funeral. And I remember thinking, well, Sandy, if you ever wanted an opportunity to test your faith and ask God to raise the dead, this is it. So I walked in, grabbed the body, set it up in the casket, and commanded in the name of Jesus to rise up and walk. Well, not really. I'm just kidding. I, I, didn't, I didn't do such a thing. All I did was preach a guy's funeral that afternoon. No way did I have faith enough to raise the dead. But that's the point I'm trying to make. That kind of extreme faith for extreme situations requires the gift of faith. It's ex-faith. I love how the Amplified Version renders verse 9. To another wonder-working faith by the same Spirit. Don't you like that? To another wonder-working faith by the same Spirit. The gift of faith is just that. It's wonder-working. Remember when the Father delivered his demon-possessed delivered his demon-possessed son to the disciples, and he asked them to exercise the evil spirits. The disciples failed to free him. Jesus had to bail them out, remember. Later, they asked Jesus why their prayers had been so powerless. And in Matthew 17, Jesus told them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I've read that verse a thousand times, and I always thought, wow, Lord, a mustard seed is so tiny. Yet if a seed that small is all that's needed to move a mountain, wow, my faith must be microscopic. But I now believe I misunderstood that verse. For the idiom, faith as a mustard seed, I don't believe refers as much to the size of our faith as much as it does to the source of our faith. You see, a seed comes from the outside, outside the soil. The seed gets planted in the soil for it to bear fruit. And I believe what Jesus is telling us here is that mountain-moving faith is not our faith. It doesn't originate inside of us. It's His faith. It's faith that His Spirit plants in our heart to believe the impossible. Tonight, you may be facing an extreme situation. A few months ago, your life was a picnic in the park. But boy, circumstances have dramatically changed in recent weeks. Now your life is filled with uncertainty and worry and fear. You feel like you're about to bungee jump. Perhaps it's cancer, or maybe it's financial pressures, or your marriage seems to be crumbling, or there's a teenage teenager that's really causing you problems, or perhaps you found out that your child was on drugs, or maybe you've lost your job. You feel like you're being pushed off the platform, and you're not sure if the rubber band is going to snatch. Maybe God has you in a place, or maybe He's called you to a task that has you overwhelmed. 
God has moved you outside your comfort zone. You've been thrown into the deep end and you're not sure if you can swim. Your circumstances are a chasm that's too wide to step across. This situation is going to require a leap of faith. If you're needing extreme faith for an extreme situation, it's time to trust God and pray. I believe all these spiritual gifts offered to the Corinthians are available to us today. And that includes wonder-working faith. Lord, would you pour it out upon us tonight? Father, we thank you for your word to us tonight. Thank you for the faith that works wonders. For your faith that you are willing to give to us and plant within our hearts. And Lord, for the person tonight who is facing insurmountable odds and they've been trying to muster their own faith, Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your Spirit upon us tonight and that you would give them, Lord, the gift of faith to get them going, to keep them going, to help them overcome. Father, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. And thank you, Lord, for these allocations, these special allocations of supernatural working that you, you pr- promised to pour out into our lives. And Lord, tonight we need faith. Lord, increase our faith. And we know that one way you do it is through this wonderful gift of faith. So fill us to overflowing. Increase our faith this evening. We love you, Lord. And we thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, we're done early tonight. God bless you. You're dismissed.
Your ways are high. 